ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Just a heads up, this episode touches on the topic of suicide. If it brings up issues for you, you can ring Lifeline on 13 11 14. Take care while listening. Chris Jeffcott has one defining memory of the birth of his son. And it's not a happy memory. It doesn't bring back good feelings. Just sadness, really. Here's what happened. Everything started off well enough. My concern was about Suze and Oscar. Susie was induced and everything went pretty smoothly. Susie is his partner, and during the birth, Chris was down at the business end. They said, when I came in, you're not going to faint on me, are you? And I said, (laughs) I'm the registered nurse. And no, and I'm very interested in this. So I was always proactive in the care and wanting to be involved. Once Oscar was born, Chris cut the umbilical cord, and he couldn't wait to hold his new baby. But first, there was skin-to-skin contact with Mum. And trying to get him to feed. Oscar was also weighed and checked. He had quite a misshapen head because he was in the, the birth canal for so long. So there were clinical elements. Through all of this, Chris held back. He didn't want to get in the way. But then an hour passed. Then two hours. Then two and a half hours. And Chris still hadn't been given his baby to hold. By the time I got to the, the student midwife, holding my son up to the light and saying, oh, aren't you cute, and doing the the gaga baby noises to him. That's when I finally tipped over and clicked that this isn't all clinical. So I got to the point of frustration and enough confidence up to say, and that's enough. Can I please hold my bub? And so that whole time, you were you like thinking, okay, now they're going to hand him to me. Okay, now it's going to be my turn to hold him. And it just never came? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't feel I was in a position. I didn't know what to do, you know. And even though I'm a nurse, it doesn't mean I know to speak up in that kind of situation. I, I could have had a beautiful memory of just being handed by son and being able to share that with my partner. But instead, what I remember is the frustration and still thinking, why? Why did I have to ask to be included? This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. In the months that followed, Chris's mental health took a dive. His experience after the birth was just one of many factors. But while he was struggling, he never reached out for help. And that is all too common for new dads, because let's be honest, not a lot of attention is paid to the mental health of new fathers, even though one in 10 experience perinatal depression and anxiety. You don't always realize when you're in a crisis. Mm. There was never any thought of suicide or self-harm, but there doesn't have to be for you to be in a crisis. There is some good news, though. That reluctance to reach out for help and the lack of attention on the mental health of dads is shifting. Data from two leading perinatal mental health organizations show new fathers are increasingly getting in touch. There's a significant shift in the number of dads that we've seen reaching out for support. We're starting to get there with the narrative a bit more. There's more people that are willing to stick their hand up and say, I am one of those one in ten. So today, we focus on the mental health of new dads, how the signs of perinatal depression and anxiety differ in men, and why Chris is now speaking about his experience. I'm living proof of what happens to men that experience trauma around childbirth and after childbirth, but don't address it. You can punish your kids. 
seems to be better. Can you still hear me, though? Okay? I can hear you. Yep. Okay, perfect. Nice. I'll get you to um, maybe set up sort of the background context in terms of, like, how has the mental health of new dads typically been thought of or, you know, has it been thought of at all? (laughs) Uh, Look, I think historically and culturally we are very much in a practice whereby dads were always a secondary concern. We know, you know, up until about five or ten years ago that really the the mental health and wellbeing of dads was not at all considered and was secondary so that being picked up if they were raising concern and advocating for themselves but not, not in any way screened for or considered more openly. Julie Bornenkoff is a clinical psychologist and the CEO of an organisation called PANDA. Which stands for Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia. And PANDA runs Australia's only national helpline focused on perinatal mental health. So they support parents from pregnancy through to the first year after birth. Was it just sort of assumed that dads didn't really struggle, you know, wouldn't have any problems, or that if they did, it what just wasn't as important as mum? I mean, I think, you know, when I, having worked across the whole sort of mental health sector more broadly, not just in the parenting space, I think when we reference and reflect on how the mental health and wellbeing of men as a baseline has been addressed and spoken about and investment made into services and supports for men because they're perhaps not as vocal Mm. and haven't been as forthright in coming forward to advocate for themselves. The system was never pivoting toward them. Mm. And I think there has been most definitely a shift in knowing that we we can't wait for men to come forward and say that I'm struggling because they're just not great at doing that and they've not been given the tools to be able to do that for many of them. This is the issue Chris ran into when he was struggling after the birth of his son four years ago. I I felt that I'd always looked after my own mental health, so the the way that I would do that would be to just withdraw and just get lost in my own head, and and it's only recently that I've worked out that that just does not work. Now, to get a better sense of how and why Chris was struggling after the birth of his son, it helps to understand where his head was at walking into the birth. And the pressures ran several layers deep. So first off, the pregnancy wasn't exactly a joyful time because while his partner was growing new life, his father was dying of cancer. Stage four glioblastoma is, of course, unstoppable. By the time his son was born, Chris was deep in grief. Dad passed away early September and Oscar arrived at the end of November. They sort of missed each other by a couple of months. But his grief was also complicated because his relationship with his dad was complicated. It It wasn't a happy household growing up in. I always felt that nothing I did was ever good enough. I was always disappointing him. As for his mother, there was complicated grief there too. My mum had died by suicide when I was uh, nine months old. I've got very little information about my mum. My sister has done a bit more digging and I think she found out she was on antidepressants that maybe she had to go off when she had me. Given that family history, Chris didn't think he wanted to be a father one day. I didn't have confidence in myself that I I would be a good parent. And when his partner fell pregnant, it was a shock because she had been told she likely couldn't have kids. She just sort of said one day, I'd just like to try. And the first time we had unprotected sex, we were pregnant. 
with Oscar. <laughs> so it was very much turned out to be the best surprise I could have ever hoped for. But I thought it was like, I just wanted to make Susie happy. So I really didn't think it was going to happen. I thought it was like buying a lottery ticket. So this is the background. Chris's head was a jumble of excitement, grief and trepidation. And then he had to wait the two and a half hours to hold his newborn son. My, my brain was a mess, you know, it was just, but that was certainly one thing that just kept playing over and over and, and I didn't know how to resolve it. I've, I've never been formally diagnosed with anything, but looking back, yeah, certainly postnatal depression, which I thought was grief, really. I thought it was right. half of the cause and I felt absolutely overwhelmed. A flat mood, very irritable. I had very intrusive thoughts. I'd say my partner would say I was disconnected. I felt my job was to provide for Suze and that her job was to look after Bob because she was the primary carer. She was the one breastfeeding. I, I of course, helped change nappies. But as far as settling, I didn't cope with that well. Mm. I remember even in the hospital, I became frustrated and I was doing that shh, 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 but I wasn't doing it like that. I was I was agitated mm. and she's just sort of said, that wouldn't settle anyone. Like, you, you can't make him relax unless you're relaxed. Right. So I think after that, I just took a, well, fine. Yeah, like, I, I won't try and do it, which is really unfair to mm. leave that responsibility with one person. Chris mentioned he never got a formal diagnosis, but a lot of what he describes overlaps with how perinatal depression can manifest in men. So it differs quite significantly from, from women. Men will experience more irritability and anger. This is Dr. Aaron Sito, a clinical psychologist and clinical team leader at the Gidget Foundation, which, like Panda, supports the mental health of new parents. Erin says while mothers are more likely to feel fatigue, sadness and hopelessness and be tearful, men are more likely to withdraw. They might have more physical symptoms such as headaches or it could present as cognitive symptoms such as difficulties concentrating at work. They might also need different supports as well. So they might have difficulties in leaving work behind or motivating themselves to engage in activities that they previously would have enjoyed. And they might not have as large a social network as some mothers and women do. And so really, they're the key things that we would look for are changes around those behaviours and also the increase in symptoms at the same time. Did anyone ever check up on your mental health or did you ever seek help? No, and I wish... I, I had my, my sister... And one of my best friends was checking in. I didn't feel that I wanted to, to bother anyone. We were, we were very isolated, I'd say, when in the first, even 12 months, you know, I think within the first 12 months, COVID happened, but we were very isolated. We had each other and Susie was checking in on me. She just would have been absolutely exhausted. And so no health worker ever sort of asked about your mental health following the birth, you know, at any postnatal visits that mum and bub would have been at that you might have attended as well? No, no. So thankfully, Suze was hooked into follow-up care, but I was not invited in. I was, no one ever asked me how I was doing. Do you think you would have been more inclined to get help if someone had asked? Yeah. I think I would have burst into tears. Hmm. I would have been so thankful that someone had have thought of me. 
we can't wait for men to come forward and say that I'm struggling because they're just not great at doing that and they've not been given the tools to be able to do that for many of them, um, especially our older generations. So now we're in a space where, you know, we need to be prepared for men to be actively advocating for themselves and be really proud of that and have the right supports in place to be able to guide them when they do come forward. That's one of the gaps Panda is trying to plug. Julie says they now have more male counsellors on their helpline, and that's to support the increasing number of dads who are ringing in. You know, during COVID, so probably three years ago, we did see a shift in the way that men started engaging with our service. So the prior to COVID, the dominant call that we received from men was, how do I support my partner or I'm worried about my partner? And then probably six months into COVID, we started to see that more and more men were reaching out for support and still saying that I want to be able to support my partner, but I'm finding that hard because I'm struggling myself. And so Mm. this shift started to happen as more and more people across the country and throughout the world spoke about this kind of levelling disruption that COVID had and, and more willingness to talk about mental health. And I think we had to get better at talking about men's mental health as a part of that. So through COVID, we saw a shift. And more recently, we've seen double the number of men who are going online to complete our mental health checklist, which is a really cool tool. It's plain English. It's not a clinical diagnostic tool, but it is one that somebody can complete and get a bit of a read on how they're going. And we've also seen an increase in the number of calls. So now one in 10 calls is a dad reaching out for support and that they don't just do it once, but, you know, on average, they're seeking seven interactions with us or there are seven interactions with us to provide them with that support. And so with the dads using the self-report checklist, what are you finding from what they're saying about how they're going? Look, not surprisingly, we're seeing that that shift in, you know, changing to the role of a new father is really disrupting dad's sense of self-identity and self-confidence, you know, and we see this in mums as well. Um, But, you know, really significant findings are that, you know, 87% of dads that are undertaking our checklist feel isolated. And that's not necessarily geographically isolated, as we know many uh, people have been throughout COVID, Mm -hmm. but it's that sense of being isolated and and alone in my experience. Um, We also know that about 67% of dads who have completed our checklist recently say that they don't in any way feel confident about being a parent or the father that they want to be. And that's such a significant number of men going into that experience and not knowing how to navigate it. As for the increasing number of men ringing into the helpline, it's now one in ten who are men, Julie says there's also been a shift in the nature of what's troubling them. Predominantly, people are not just calling with a feeling of not feeling great internally, but that they've got these really significant overlays of pressure. And we know that, you know, the financial instability that people are currently facing, mortgage increases, um, housing instability, work-life pressures, um, and all of those things for men really exacerbate their experience, especially when they feel that they have to hold it together as the working contributor Mm -hmm. to the family while mums at home. But, you know, we also know that men are talking about this sense of burnout and feeling exhausted and either turning too much into work because they uh, know that that's a space where they do feel functional and know how to do it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, being at home where they really don't have the cues or understand how to contribute to, you know, this new little bundle of love they've got. 
similar trends have been playing out at the Gidget Foundation as well. They're a bit different to Panda in that they don't run a helpline, but they do provide counselling as well as running screening programs for perinatal depression and anxiety in certain hospitals. We definitely have seen an increase. I think there's been multiple issues, and I think particularly right now where we've got an increased cost of living, but also there's an increased awareness of perinatal anxiety and depression and how that impacts families and in particular dads. So we've had a higher rate of awareness, early intervention, increased screening, and that's all led to more dads being referred to our service through their GPs. So two in five dads are now reporting through our recent surveys that they've found parenting much more challenging than they expected. Um, And many of them don't really know how to spot the signs of postnatal depression and anxiety and really struggle to connect within their communities. So what do dads need then to target and help them specifically? What would you like to see change? What I would love to see change is the stigma around um, men and men's mental health. We know from research generally that men are not good at reaching out for support to do with their health as a whole. But I think when it comes to mental health, that's even more significant. Um, I think if we could start to reduce the stigma of just toughing it out, that would be a real help. I think men also present differently and that they'll often say that they're stressed rather than linking it to what would be traditionally mental health language such as anxiety. Mm. And so I think it would be really helpful to start to use that language around men a bit more frequently so they're more comfortable with it as well and identifying what that looks like for them. I think it would also be helpful, and I've noticed this definitely in the sport arena where there is more conversation about mental health Mm. now. And I think the more that we can do that for men in different areas of life, the easier it will be for them to also stick their hand up in the perinatal period and start to ask for help. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, we're focusing on the one in 10 fathers who develop perinatal depression and anxiety. And once you know the factors that can put fathers at increased risk, it's almost not a surprise Chris struggled the way he did. Remember, he had a troubled relationship with his father, who died just before the birth of his son. And his mother had died by suicide when Chris was just a baby. He never got over the trauma of my mum dying by suicide. I don't think he ever trusted women after that. It wasn't, for me, a happy childhood. So I guess thinking about a pre-existing family history, so if you've got anyone in your immediate family that has a mental health background, or if you yourself have experienced mental health difficulties, then you're just slightly more at risk. Um, The perinatal period is a really vulnerable period where you get additional stressors over and above just life stressors in general. So I think looking widely at the family history is really helpful. I think your support system and how well supported you are into this journey can often be a huge factor. And we we know from multiple research that any sort of childhood adverse events can significantly impact physical and mental health later on in adulthood. So yeah, they would play a key factor in terms of perinatal depression and anxiety. What are the, sort of set the stakes here, what are the risks if we don't start paying proper attention to the mental health of dads? Sure. I mean, like I mentioned, the Childhood adverse events impact significantly on physical and mental future health. So if we look at the impact of, of on the child and the infant's mental health, if you have a parent with a mental health difficulty, what we're trying to do is stop those intergenerational um, cycles continuing. 
And so early intervention is really, really key. And so intervening in terms of a parent's mental health is the earliest point that you can intervene for the infant's mental health. And really, it's about keeping family systems together. And and the hope is that in doing some of those early interventions, we then help the next generation coming through. Early intervention is sadly what Chris didn't get. And so in the meantime, to cope, he was turning increasingly to alcohol. And then he received some information about his father that shook him to his core. I found out very recently, well, I think I always knew, but my, my stepmom told me recently that he, he blamed me for my mum doing what she did. My dad said to my stepmom that if I wasn't such a, a sooky, needy baby, oh. then she done what she did. Um, I think even my my sister didn't have a good time growing up either, but I think we certainly had different experiences that I Mm. always felt that he looked at me a bit differently and there was always anger directed at me. And Mm. you can't always reason these things, you know. I can say myself that I was a baby, that I, I... I couldn't have done anything about it, but I of course. also know with trauma and things like this that, that there's, you know, there doesn't have to be reasoning behind it. He felt the way he did, and I think he felt the way he did for, for a long time. We, we had an okay relationship and I suppose became friends when we were older, but we, we never had a conversation about my mum ever in my life. Mm, wow. When your stepmother told you this, that must have been devastating mm-hmm. to hear. How did you take that? Was that and how was it told to you? Was it sort of in a generous spirit, or that like that could be said in a very um, hurtful way as well? Yeah, we've always been pretty open and direct. I think she saved my life when I was growing up. I don't know if I would have survived being in that house if it wasn't for her. Mm. We just happened to be. I I sort of opened up to her about seeking help for for mental health Mm. issues. And I had started to explore that possibility and I straight out asked her, well, I I said that I felt that he may have blamed me for my mum's death. And she just said, yeah, he did. Mm. And we kind of moved on. I, it was it was not a slap in the face, but but being doused in icy cold water or something like that. It was it was very much a shock. Yeah, I held it for about twenty four hours, and then I I told my partner when we were on a on a bus mm. in Sydney. I just burst into tears. You know, it's, um, it's a difficult thing to process. Last year, Chris finally started seeing a counselor. I'm not sure if. Dad would have spoken to anyone or sought help for his issues, but I'm living proof of what happens to men that experience trauma around childbirth and after childbirth that don't address it. It can you can punish your kids, and I don't think anyone who wants to be a good parent wants to knowingly do that. Hmm. That can affect everyone around you, and suicide just affects generations. It really does, even if, um, yeah, I never knew my mum, but that will affect Oscar just through the way that I've been brought up and the way that I've dealt with it and, and, you know, just having to live with my dad with that that trauma. And 
I think also that if you want to be the best parent you can be, you, you do need to address your own mental health issues. But it's for dads, I think it's unfortunately, I just think that we're overlooked hmm. and I, that really does need to change. You know, prior to COVID or when I joined in the organisation in late 2019, that was not a conversation we had mm. as readily. This is Julie Bornenkoff again, CEO of Panda. Um, and we also knew that our ability to connect with dads holistically in terms of the resources we have on our website, the stories we were able to create for them to engage with, and the men that undertook our mental health checklist were just nowhere near where we wanted to be. And I would say that they're still not. We would love to be doing more for dads. But we've done a lot of work to really bring our website to a space where both mums and dads, you know, or non-birth parents mm. feel really able to engage with information that's meaningful to them that they can access quite quickly and that they can use to have conversations with their support communities. I also think that what we've noticed is a clear trend in partners flagging father's mental health. This is Dr Aaron Sito again, clinical psychologist at the Gidget Foundation. So where we do have women that are coming to our service and sticking their hands up and saying, I'm struggling, I'm recognising the symptoms in me, but I'm also noticing a difference in my partner. Could he link in with your service? We've found that we're capturing a lot of partners and dads through the primary care seeking support. Since starting counselling last year, Chris Jeffcott says his world has changed. How are things with fatherhood now for you and your relationship with your partner now? Surprisingly great. Oh. I, I love being a dad oh. and I love my boy. He's, he's the most awesome creature that I've ever met. And <laughs> my, my relationship with my partner, I think, is, is great as well. We, we, we talk more, we're more open. We, um, we just, if Oscar goes to bed early, we end up sitting up and talking about Oscar and how great he is. Mm. Um, and I think we, we slowly... You know, we give each other a high five every now and then that if our kid is this awesome, we must be doing all right. So the confidence sort of grows over time. And I could never have imagined that parenthood would be like this and that it would have strengthened you know, the, the trials that Susan and I have been through together has really strengthened our relationship. That is I'd so say, cute. Uh, That's lovely. <laughs> thanks. I still have dark thoughts that, um, every now and then I will get really teary and start to talk to Suze about I don't want to be my dad. Mm. If I growl or even raise my voice a little bit to Oscar and she constantly reassures me that I'm not my dad. But that is always in my brain mm. and that's always I have to be mindful of. But I look at even the relationship that I have with him as a four-year-old and I, you know, he's is my friend and, and you know, I'm still dad. He's still going to listen to what I say, but, but I have an amazing relationship with my son and the love that I feel for Oscar and for Suze, I, I just never thought I would feel this way. That is Chris Jeffcott, registered nurse, father and community champion with Panda. You also heard from Julie Bornenkoff, clinical psychologist and CEO of Panda, as well as Dr. Aaron Sito, clinical psychologist and clinical team leader at the Gidget Foundation. Full disclosure, I am a Gidget Foundation ambassador. 
And if this episode brought up any issues for you, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14, Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36, or the Panda Helpline on 1300 726 306. The thing to note is the Panda Helpline is a helpline, not a crisis line, so it's not staffed 24 hours. Look, sadly, you know, generally we can only get to about 30% of live callers. And one of the biggest issues that we face, and we're working on this now internally and with our funders, is that many of our community ring outside of hours and leave messages for us to call back. And then when we get in on the, in the morning, our helpline staff start calling back those calls. And if they're already in a call when an, a live call is coming in, we don't have the staffing capacity to be able to make those calls as they come in live. And that breaks our heart. But we do everything we can. And, you know, we're looking at new ways of bringing in digital supports and cue messaging that allows people to access supports while they're wait. So just something to keep in mind in case you can't get through. Now, that's it for All in the Mind this week. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Isabella Tropiano. I'm Sana Kadar. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Anne Jones, and we're back with a whole new season of What the Duck Moments from the Natural World. With the California condors, one of the reasons why they were in so much trouble is because of Johnny Cash. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. Find brand new episodes of What the Duck on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.